something from your word tonight. Lord, we love you so much. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, so we're in a Bible study here in John chapter number uh, 3. And like I said last week, we dealt with uh, the story there of Nicodemus. If, if, you missed all, if you missed that or if you've missed any of the sermons, I challenge you to go online. We have them posted online on our website. We can get that for you if you'd like. Um, but uh, we're in John chapter number 3. And let's just get straight into it. Look at verse 22. So I want you to understand the context. Jesus just got done meeting with Nicodemus. And that's why the Bible says in verse 22, John chapter number 3 and verse 22, it says, after these things, after that conversation that they had, and all that doctrine that was expounded in that conversation there, it says, after these things came Jesus and His disciples into the land of Judah. And there He tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem. I want you to just take note of this. The Bible says, that John was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Now, on Sunday morning, I preached an entire sermon on the doctrine of baptism and what we believe about baptism, what the Bible teaches about baptism. So I'm not going to take the time to re-preach that sermon, but I do want you to just see there in the text, it says that John was baptizing in Anon near Salem, and it says he chose this location because there was much water water there. So John the Baptist was baptizing and when he was looking for a place to baptize, he said, I need to find somewhere where there's a lot of water. And the reason for that is because he needed a place that had much water because John was not sprinkling. John was not pouring water on anybody. He was taking that person and like the Bible says and we saw there on Sunday morning, the biblical way of baptizing somebody is to dump them underneath the water and bring them up out of the water and uh, you will not find sprinkling in the Bible. You will not find pouring water on somebody in the Bible. And, and we spent the whole sermon on that and dealt with that and, and what the Bible says about that. And I challenge you, to, if you're interested, to go on the website and listen to that. Uh, here soon, we're going to have to get CDs made of the preaching and, and hand those out also. But, um, but I want you to notice that the Bible says, because there was much water there, that's where He chose to baptize. Uh, look at verse 24. John 3:24. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of, the, some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and look what it says, and all men come to him. Now what we got to understand in the context here is that John the Baptist was pretty much the big name preacher in town at this time. I mean... Uh, he, he was the, the main speaker. He was the main preacher. People were coming to him. Uh, keep, st- stay there in John chapter number 3 and go with me just real quickly to Matthew chapter number 3. Matthew chapter number 3, the very first book in the New Testament. Let me show you something about John's ministry. Matthew chapter number 3 and look at verse 1. Matthew chapter number 3 and look at verse 1. And, uh, Matthew chapter number 3 and look at verse 1. The Bible says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he which was spoken of the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a, a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. And look at verse 5, Matthew 3, 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem. So the Bible says that Jerusalem, the entire city, went out to him and all of Judea 
and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Look at verse 7. And when he saw uh, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, All generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Uh, now, just keep your spot there in Matthew chapter number 3, because we're going to come back there real quick. But go back to John chapter number 3 also. And what I want you to see is that the Bible says that all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, and many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came out to listen to John preach. So John was a very famous preacher at this time. He was preaching in the wilderness. He was baptizing people. He was seeing many converts, many disciples. If you, if you uh, study uh, the, the Gospels in different places, or, or what we already saw in John in previous chapters, uh, he had disciples who were coming after him. I mean, we saw there that uh, there was a dispute between... Uh, his disciples there, uh, where, where was that? That was verse uh, 25. It says there was a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews. So he had disciples. He had people following him. Uh, and, and John was a big name preacher. He was, a, he was being successful at this time. And he was very well known. And people were coming after and, and, and seeing him. And if you notice there in John chapter number 3 and verse 26, the question they ask him, they said, they, they're, they're asking him a question, but they're really just giving him some facts and, and wanting to see how he feels about this. Because look at verse 26 again. It says, And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he, and they're referring to Jesus Christ, says, He that was with thee beyond Jordan, and look what it says, to whom thou bearest witness. Because if you remember, when Jesus Christ came on the scene, he was, he was coming to be baptized of John, and John, when he saw Jesus Christ, he said, uh, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So really, uh, Jesus Christ was announced to the world, was uh, put on the, on, on, the, on the stage there, you know, for lack of better words, by John the Baptist. So they're saying, hey, that guy who you bear witness to, because John the Baptist is the one who introduced Jesus Christ publicly to the world. Do you understand that? And he gave Jesus Christ, uh, you know, what we would consider his big chance there. And he kind of let everybody know. And they, they're letting John know that when they say, Whom thou bearest witness to. And then they said to him, Behold, the same baptizer. Because remember, John the Baptist was baptizing people. So they're letting him know, Hey, you were baptizing people, but now Jesus Christ is baptizing also. The same baptizer. And it says, And all men come to Him. They're saying to Him, now all men come to Him. See, we're, we're getting to a place in John's life where John's ministry, John's church was now, when it used to be the exciting church. I mean, it used to be the church that everybody in town went to. It used to be the church where you drive by on Sunday morning and it was just packed out with all the cars there and everybody was coming. And now John's ministry or John's church there is starting to diminish. Because Jesus Christ came on the scene. And, and we've seen there that some of John's disciples are now following Jesus Christ and are becoming Jesus Christ's disciples. And Jesus Christ's church is now growing. Jesus Christ's ministry is now flourishing. He's, having his, he's adding His 12 disciples and He's adding many people who are coming after Him. And we're going to see uh, here soon where He feeds uh, 5,000 and He feeds many and He has a big, huge crowd. And, and they're asking John about this and they're saying, John... You used to be the main preacher. You used to have the crowds. You used to have uh, the, the, the spotlight on your life. And now your disciples are going to Jesus Christ. Now your church is getting smaller. Now your church is diminishing. Now your ministry is becoming small. As Jesus Christ's ministry grows, as His disciples grow, and they want to know, John, how do you feel about that? That's really what they're asking Him. Look at verse 26 again. 
And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. I want you to look at John's response. Look at verse 27. John chapter number 3 and look at verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Now I'd like you to just real quickly take your Bibles and go to the book of James. It's going to be towards the end of your New Testament. The book of James... If you've got to 1 Peter, 2 Peter, uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, or Revelation, you've gone too far. James, and I want you to just look at a verse real quickly, uh, and we're going to go right back to John chapter number 3, but look at James chapter number 1 and look at verse 17. James chapter number 1 and look at verse 17. The Bible says in James chapter number 1 and verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. See, John understood this. He understood that if, John understood, if I accomplish anything in life, if I am allowed to have a ministry that is flourishing, a church that is growing, if I'm allowed to have success in life, whether it be a business, or whether it be ministry, or whether it be personal with my family, or whatever, he says, I understand that every gift came from God. And he says, now if God wants to take that gift away, then that's fine, because he says, hey look, every good gift, every perfect gift, is from above, and coming down from the Father of lights. And that's really what John said when he said there in John chapter 3, 27, he said, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Remember when Job lost everything? And he said, he said, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and, and Job there, and John here, understood this one thing. Everything I have was given to me by God. Hey look, the fact you woke up this morning is because God allowed you to wake up this morning. By the grace of God you woke up this morning. By the grace of God you had uh, the strength to stand up and maybe go to work or go to school or think you have the ability you have to have friends or have fellowship or come to church. Everything you've done in your life is because God allowed you to. And when they're asking this question, and really they're being used of Satan, really, because Satan is the accuser of the saints, and Satan uh, is really coming to John and trying to get him to become jealous of Jesus Christ. As they're asking them his, this question, he, he's, he understands this one thing. If I accomplish anything in life, it's because God allowed me to, to accomplish it. Look at verse 28, John three twenty-eight, And the reason John was able to be okay with allowing Jesus Christ to have the preeminence is really because of verse... John 3.28 and uh, 29 there, I want you to see it. says, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am set before Him. See, John understood his role in life. John understood his role in life. Now, I just want to, uh, I want you to just go with me real quickly. I want you to see some passages. I, I know that uh, Wednesday nights is more of a Bible study, so you're going to get in your Bible. But go with me to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter number 40. Isaiah is the first major prophet there in the Old Testament. It's the first big book of the prophets there in the Old Testament, Isaiah. And go to chapter number 40, and I want you to look at verse, verse number 3. Isaiah chapter number 40, and look at verse number 3. Isaiah 40, verse 3. This is a prophecy, I want, to, I want to show you, this is a prophecy of John the Baptist. 
And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 40 and verse 3, it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now this is a this is a prophecy of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the one, and we see there in the Gospels, they say uh, that John the Baptist was the one, was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And Isaiah chapter number 40 and verse 3 is a prophecy of John. I want you to remember what it says. It says, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for a God. So the Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 40 that the purpose of John's life was to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Now look at, I'll, I'll show you one more prophecy about him. Um, if you go to, with me to the book of Malachi, uh, chapter number 3. Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter number 3, the very last book in the Old Testament. And look at verse 1. Malachi chapter number 3, and look at verse 1. The very last book in the Old Testament. Another prophecy of John the Baptist. It says, Behold, I will send my my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold... He shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. I want you to see that first part. It says, He shall prepare the way before me. So a prophecy of John the Baptist was that he was sent before Jesus Christ. And if you if you study it out there, John was a cousin of our Lord Jesus Christ. Physically. And he was he was uh, he he was conceived six months before uh, Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Ghost uh, by the Virgin Mary. So he was literally came before Jesus Christ, and his whole purpose was he was preaching um, to these people, and he was baptizing them, and he was preparing the way of the Lord, he was preparing the way of Jesus Christ, and there in Malachi 3.1, which was written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, and in Isaiah, which was written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, it says uh, about John, it says, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now, just real quickly, go with me to Matthew chapter number 3. If you're in Malachi, it'll be the very next ver- uh, book which will be in the New Testament now. Matthew chapter number 3, and look at verse number 3. Matthew chapter number 3, and look at verse 3. The Bible says, in Matthew chapter number 3, and look at verse 3. It says, now look at what it says. For this is He, referring to John the Baptist, for this is He that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. So it's telling us there, about John the Baptist, this is the person that Isaiah, which we just read that passage, was speaking about. It's a saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So we see there, in Isaiah chapter number 40, it said that, and then in Matthew chapter number 3, it says about John, that John is this messenger, who Isaiah spoke about, who Malachi spoke about, that he's supposed to come to prepare the way. Now you're in Matthew, just go to the very next book, in Mark, and look at Mark chapter number 1, and look at verse 2. Mark chapter number 1, and look at verse 2. I just want to make this very clear. What was John's purpose in life? Mark chapter number 1, look at verse 2. It says, As it is written, In the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So again, we see there that it's told to us about John the Baptist, that he was the fulfillment of these Old Testament, uh, Old Testament prophecies of a man who was going to come before Jesus Christ and prepare the way for him. Now go back, please, with me to John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. John understood his role in life. 
See, John, his, this is what he would think. Why should I be jealous of Jesus Christ? Because they're trying to make him jealous of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see that? They're saying, hey, how do you feel about Jesus growing and you diminishing? And, and, he's, and he's thinking, why should I be jealous of Jesus Christ? If my purpose in life was to announce Jesus Christ. My purpose, when I, when I bring disciples to Christ and when I announce Jesus Christ, he said, my purpose, that was the point of my life. And I want you to see this. He gives an example... It's very interesting to me. Of a bridegroom. Look at John chapter number 3 and look at verse 29. John chapter number 3 and look at verse 29. Look what the Bible says. This is John speaking. And he's speaking to these people who are asking this question. Look what he says. He says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but that's a beautiful illustration. He says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. So he's giving an illustration of a wedding. And he says, The man who has the bride, who's marrying the bride, is he, he calls him the bridegroom. We would call him a groom today. You know, someone who's getting married. And he's saying, But the friend, look what he says, But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, you know, you know how like when you get married, you have a bride, you have a groom, and then you have... Uh, yeah, like best man, groomsman, and then like the, I don't, groomsman, what, what's the ladies? The, yeah, the matron of honor, and then you have the ladies there, you know, obviously, all the women know, I, I have no idea, I don't even know who was the best man at my wedding, actually, I think it was my brother, but, you know, whatever. So, but, but he's giving this illustration, he's saying, you know, the, the friend there, you know, the best man, he's like, what's the purpose of, the, of, the, of those people there? They're not just there for looks, right? They're there for what? They're supposed to be the witnesses. So he says... He says, the friend of the bridegroom, who we would consider the best man, he said, which standeth and heareth him, because he's a witness, he says, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So he's saying, look, in a, in a wedding, the groom and the bride are the center of attention. Does that make sense? I mean, at, at my wedding, you know, or at, maybe at your wedding, when, when they were taking pictures, who were they taking pictures of? The bride. Who are they taking pictures of? The groom. I, you know, I, I don't even know. There, there are probably very few pictures where it's just a picture of the best man standing there by himself just taking a picture. You know what I mean? Like the majority of pictures can be taken of the bride and the groom. It's their special day. It's their, it, the day is there to honor them. And the bridegroom is just there to provide the ring, to be a witness. You know, he's in the, in the group pictures. But I've never, I've never walked into a house and seen a picture of, you know, you, many times you'll see a picture of, of the, the, you know, people when they get married and they take a, a picture of the couple, right? There's, I've never seen really somebody hang up a picture of just their best man at the wedding. Just a picture of the best man. You know, you walk in and you're like, you have all these pictures of a picture one random guy and you're like oh that's the best man at my wedding people don't usually put that picture up because that's not the point of the wedding and John was saying to these people he's saying look Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and his church the people he's coming to redeem that's the bride he's like hey look I'm just the bridegroom's friend you see that he said he that has the bride is the bridegroom but the friend of the bridegroom he's like hey look I'm just the best man which standeth in here he says rejoice greatly because the bridegroom's voice and then he says this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He said, John saying, I am fulfilled. I am uh, completely satisfied in my life just being the friend of the bridegroom. And when they were trying to say, well, why aren't you jealous of Jesus Christ? Because you had all these disciples, and you had this great church, and you had this great following, and now Jesus Christ had the disciples, Jesus Christ had the followers. And he says, hey, look, the whole purpose of my life was to announce Jesus Christ. The purpose of my life was to uh, bring honor to Him. And he says, He's the bride, the church is the bridegroom. Hey, 
Frank. And he said, I'm just standing here and I'm just, I just rejoice to hear his voice. I just rejoice to be part of the whole thing. And, and in a wedding, the best man is not the center of attention, but the bride and the groom are the center of attention. And John is stating that he's not the center of attention in this life. Jesus Christ is the center of attention. And he says, hey, I find joy in being the friend of the bridegroom. And he's happy to just be included in the scene. You know... And as I was studying for this and I was reading about this, I was thinking to myself, you know, many times, and I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like this. I, you know, I, I grew up watching a lot of television when I was a kid. I probably watched more television than I should have. And, and before I even go on, I just want to say this. Look, I don't, I don't watch any television at all today. I don't even, you can look around my house, I don't even own a television. And um, so I, you know, I, I watched enough of that garbage growing up to where I don't need it anymore. <laughs> uh, thank God. But, um, but you know, a lot of times when you, when you watch, you know, TV or you watch television shows, um, I think a lot of times we, especially as Americans, we get in this mentality where we almost feel like our life is a TV show. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Maybe I'm just the only weird one. But I think a lot of times we feel like our life is this TV show that we're the main star of. You know what I mean? Like, everything revolves around us. And we're not really doing it to be egotistical or whatever, but it's just, it's kind of like you wake up in the morning and your TV show starts, you know, of your life. And you're just like, the, have you ever felt like that? I felt like that. Like, you're the main star. Everybody's life revolves around you. You know, everybody wants to know what's going to happen with you and your life. And, and I think sometimes we feel like that. And, um, and John feeling for his life was the exact opposite. He's saying, look, I'm not, I'm not the main star of this show. He said, I'm just glad to be in the supporting cast. Is that what they call it, right? The supporting cast. You're supporting what? The main actor, you know? And he's saying, Jesus Christ, the purpose of Jesus Christ uh, was to be the main star of this show, and I'm just glad to be part of the scene. I'm just glad to be the friend of the bridegroom. I'm just glad to be part of this. And, and this is what he said. He said, this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Is fulfilled. And you know, today, there is a lot of people who deal with what we would call depression. Or they're just sad, they're depressed. There's people, I mean, all over America. I know them, you probably know them. Uh, people who have to take pills just to be able to survive in life, to deal with their emotions, to deal with their, you know, different things they're going with. And, 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 the, and all of it comes down to this one point. People do not feel fulfilled in their life. They do not feel joyful in their life. They feel like something is missing in their life. They feel like they're not uh, living their life to their fullest potential. And the reason is because they feel, maybe subconsciously, they just feel like life is about them. And when they don't get theirs, or they don't get their attention, or they don't get what they deserve, then they get put into this depressed mode where they feel like their life is nothing. But John says, hey, my life, my joy is fulfilled because I understand that the purpose of life is not me. The purpose of life is to bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, if you would just get to the place where you realize that the purpose of your life was to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, I promise you, you'd be able to be like John and say, this my joy therefore is fulfilled. And you'd find joy in your life. And you'd find fulfillment. He says, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He's saying, I'm fulfilled. I, I, I don't feel... He said, you, you might look at my church and it might be shrinking. You might look at my church and it might not be very big. You might look at my ministry and I'm not baptizing as many this year as I baptized last year. Maybe John would say that. But he said, I feel fulfilled. I feel joyful because I'm completing the purpose of my life, which is this, to bring honor to Jesus Christ. And that is our honor. That is our purpose today. 
The purpose of your life is to announce the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like John. And until you do that, you know, that's why we, we teach these kids to go, hey, you go to school, and the most important thing you can do in school is talk about Jesus Christ. The most important thing you can do in work is to talk about Jesus Christ. The most important thing you can do ever in your whole entire life is to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ and introduce somebody to Jesus Christ and say about Jesus Christ, like John said, Behold the Lamb of God. And he said, When I did that, and when I pointed even my own disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, I found fulfillment in my life. Because I realized that life wasn't about me. And then look at verse 30, John 3.30. After, after making this illustration, of our, after understanding John's role in life, after understanding that a man can receive nothing except it be given to him from, from heaven, he makes one of the most wonderful statements found in the entire Bible. Look what he says in John chapter number 3 and verse 30. And John said, He, referring to Jesus Christ, must increase. He said, but I must decrease. You know, I don't really understand how somebody can make that statement in the flesh. That goes against our flesh. You don't, you don't, you know, we don't normally want to be on the decreasing end of anything. We want to be on the increasing end of anything. But John understood the role in his life. He understood that everything was given to him from God. He understood that his purpose was to bring glory to God. His purpose was to announce God. And he was able to make this beautiful statement as he's telling these people because they're trying to get him to be jealous of Jesus Christ. They're trying to get him to fight against Jesus Christ. And he says to them, He must increase, but I must decrease. And I wonder tonight if we as Christians are living that type of life where we would say, hey, you know what? In my life, Jesus Christ must increase, but I must decrease. He had the right perspective on things. Look at verse 31. Verse 30, he says, he must increase, I must decrease. And then, and then look at verse 31. We understand why he says that. He says, he that cometh from above, that's Jesus Christ. Look what he says. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly. So John's saying, look, Jesus Christ came from above. He's above all. And he that is from the earth, John's saying, that's me. And not just John, but that's, that's us. That's every single one of us. He says, he that cometh of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. So John had the right perspective. He understood his role, and he understood Jesus Christ's role. Let me read for you a verse. You don't have to turn there if you don't uh, want to. If you can get there quickly, you can. But we're going to go back. It's in Isaiah. In uh, Isaiah chapter number 6. Let me read for you a, a verse. Isaiah chapter number 6. And look at verse 1. Isaiah 6, 1. Uh, Isaiah had almost a, a similar type uh, statement that he made about God. Isaiah chapter number 6. And look at verse 1. The Bible says, In the year of King Uzziah... In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, look what Isaiah says about, if you're there, in Isaiah chapter number 6 and verse 1. Look what he says about, uh, he says, I saw also the Lord, and look what he says, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Isaiah said, the Lord appeared to me, and when I saw him, I saw him for what he was, and I saw him high, I saw him lifted up, and you know what the problem with Christians tonight, is that we have a whole lot of Christians who say, hey, I'm saved, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Bible, I believe in church, but we have Christians who do not give God his proper place, and they don't see him high, and they don't see him lifted up. You know why I can say that? Because when Isaiah saw him high and lifted up, look at what he said, verse 2. 
Let's just keep reading. Look at verse 2. It says, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With the twain he covered his face, and with the twain he covered his feet, and with the twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. So He's describing now this entourage that came with the Lord when Isaiah saw Him. I mean, the Bible says that Isaiah, that, that, that the Lord has these, these seraphims, and, and in Revelation it talks about these beasts who are around His throne, who just spend 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, just scream out, Holy, 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 to the Lord Jesus Christ, to God up in heaven. Look at verse 4, and he says, And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And when Isaiah saw this image, and he saw God, and he saw Him holy, and lifted up, look what, look what it says in verse 5. This is what Isaiah said. When he got the right view of God, this is what Isaiah said, Then said I, Woe is me. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isn't that amazing? When a man encounters God and sees Him for what He is, the, the very next response is in a response of a humbleness. When John understood that Christ was from above, he said, hey, He must increase, I must decrease. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said, Man, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. But we don't see that much today. We see Christians who walk around arrogant and proud, doing whatever they want, having no regard for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because they don't see Him in the way that the Bible tells us. But look, one day the Bible says that God is going to come back. See, He came to earth as a lamb. The Bible says when He comes back, He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not coming back in a manger. He's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back as the King, uh, the Lord of, of, of hosts. The Bible says He's coming back and He's going to rule and He's going to reign and everyone will see Him in the proper perspective. Let me tell you something. You be wise to just decide that you're going to look at Jesus Christ the way He will be looked at one day, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John had the right perspective. And because of that, it's no, no coincidence. Well, let me just show you. Go, go to Matthew chapter number 11. We're almost done, I promise. Just got to look at a few more verses. Matthew chapter number 11. You're, you're in Isaiah there. Matthew chapter number 11, and look at verse number 11. Matthew chapter number 11, and look at verse number 11. This is what Jesus Christ said about John the Baptist. Matthew chapter number 11, and look at verse number 11. The Bible says, Verily I say unto you, this is Jesus Christ talking about John the Baptist, He says, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Can you believe that? Isn't that quite a statement? Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, said that there is not risen a greater man than John the Baptist. He said, among them that are born of women, that, that would be mankind, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And he made this statement about John, and it's not a coincidence that he would make that when we watch John's life, and, he's, and he made statements like this, he must increase and I must decrease. But look at what Jesus Christ said at the end of Matthew 11, 11. He said, Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
She said, John the Baptist is the greatest man who's ever lived, but he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. So how do you become great in the kingdom? You become the least. The exact opposite of what this world's philosophy will teach you. This world will teach you, if you want to get up in your career, if you want to get up in, your, in the totem pole of life, if you want to get up and be successful, you got to make yourself big. You know, you watch the movie stars, or you, or you watch uh, the, 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 the sports stars, and, and they're arrogant, and they're uh, pride-filled, and they feel like they got to make themselves big, and they got to make themselves uh, humongous in this world. But God says, no, if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, He said, the way you do it is by humbling yourself. Is by becoming the least. Let me show you a verse. Go with me to the book of James. We were, we were in James earlier, I believe, towards the end of the Bible. And look at James chapter number 4 and verse 10. James chapter number 4 and look at verse 10. James chapter number 4 and look at verse 10. And then we'll, we'll get off the subject and look at something real quickly before we finish. James chapter number 4 and look at verse 10. The Bible says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And look what it says. And He shall lift you up. The Bible says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He, the Lord, shall lift you up. See, here's your, here's your problem. You're trying to lift yourself up. Here's my problem. I'm trying to lift myself up. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get success in this life. I'm trying to get riches in this life. I'm trying to go up the totem pole in this life. And God would say, God says, if we would just humble ourselves to God, God would take care of the lifting. God would take care of uh, making sure that we're lifted. And that's exactly what happened to John. John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. He humbled himself, and the Lord lifted him up, up and said, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Now, just go to John chapter number 3 real quick, and and we'll we'll finish up. John chapter number 3, I want you to just see this real quick. Look at what else John said. John chapter number 3, and look at verse 32. John chapter number 3, and look at verse 32. The Bible says, and what he hath seen and heard, that he testified. John is talking about Jesus Christ. Notice that word testified. He says, and what he hath seen and heard, that he testified. And no man receiveth his testimony. So it says that Christ testified, and no man receiveth his testimony. Look at verse 33. He that hath received his testimony, hath set to his seal that God is true. So it says if you receive Christ's testimony, then you set to your seal that God is true. Look at verse 34. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. Look at verse John chapter number 3, and look at verse 36, one of the most precious verses in the Bible. John 3.36 says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now just real quickly, keep your spot there in John, but go with me to the book of 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John, chapter number 5. Towards the end of your Old Testament, the very last book in the New Testament is the book of Revelation. The book before that, which is just one chapter, is the book of Jude. And then you'll see 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Go with me to 1st John, chapter number 5. In John 3.32, it says that Jesus Christ has, that He testified, says that He has a testimony. It says that if you receive His testimony, you, you, you're saying that God is true. It talks about Jesus Christ's testimony. Look at John, 1 John 5.11. 1 John chapter number 5 and look at verse 11. Bible says, you know what a testimony is? Testimony is when you testify, when you say something. You're, you're, you're saying something. You know, like if you're a witness at a, at a, at a, in a court and you testify, what are, you're, you're telling them what you've seen. 
So here's a testimony of Jesus Christ. That, that's what John chapter number 3, verse 32 through 36 is talking about. It's talking about the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now look at 1 John 5.11, and it uses, well look what it says. It says, and this is the record, so it's not using the word testimony, but it's, it's, it means the same thing. It says, this is the record that God hath given to us, look what it says, eternal life, and this life is in His Son. So John chapter number 3 says the testimony of Jesus Christ is what? Verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John, 1 John 5.11 says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. Eternal life means everlasting life. And this life is in His Son. Everlasting life means one. What? Life that will last forever. It means a life that will never end. Eternal life means... It's a different word to describe the same thing. Eternal life means life that um, that will never end. Everlasting life means life that will last forever. Does that make sense? So, like, eternal has that word there, terminate. You know, when you add the E in front of eternal, it's saying it will, will not terminate. You know what I'm talking about? Terminate. Like our governor, the Terminator, you know. He was terminating lives or whatever. That's why they called him that. So, it says eternal... Because it's saying, it's life that will not terminate. Everlasting means life that will last forever. So he's saying, he says in John 3, uh, he says, and in John 3, 15 and 16, it uses those words too. John 3, if you want to look at it, John 3, 15 says, um, there in, uh, I'll just read it for you real quick. John 3, 15 says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have, and he uses this word, eternal life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God uses those two words interchangeably, eternal and everlasting. They mean the same thing. One means life that will never end. One means life that will last forever. But John 3.36 says that the testimony of Jesus Christ is that if you believe on the Son, you'll have eternal life. 1 John 5.11 says that the record of God is that He gave us eternal life. So what I want to show you from this is this. God says He gave you life that will last forever if you believe in Jesus Christ. God said that if you believe in Jesus Christ, He'll give you life that will never end. So if you go around saying, I sinned, and Jesus Christ took my life away. What the Bible says is that you're calling Jesus Christ's testimony a lie. Because what does it say? It says, He that receiveth this testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. So if you, if you say, hey, God gave me eternal life, then you're saying, hey, God is true. Uh, uh, First, uh, Titus says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before this world began. God, for some reason, takes it very personal. When somebody says that his life is not eternal, that the life he gives is not everlasting, he takes it as you saying that he's lying. Because he says, I gave the record, the record of God is this, that we have eternal life. The testimony of Jesus Christ is, is this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Uh, ty- uh, Titus there, what was it Titus? Yeah, Titus 1, 2 says that God can't lie, and that's our hope for eternal life. So you shouldn't go around saying, well, I I committed this horrible sin. God took away my salvation. God said, then you're calling me a liar. Because when I died on the cross for your sins, I forgave all your sins. Well, and I always like to to say this, because I think it makes perfect sense. People say, well, well, did He forgive my future sins that I'm going to commit? It's like, you know, because people think, well, I got saved today. But if I do something really bad tomorrow, if I, if I rob a bank tomorrow, God's going to take away my salvation. Because He didn't forgive my future sins. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, G- Jesus Christ died 2,000 years ago. I'm pretty sure when He died on the cross, all your sins were in the future. Does that make sense? When Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, all my sins were in the future. So if He forgave me of my sins on the cross, and when I asked, 
asked Him for the gift. He paid for my sins on the cross. And when I asked Him to save me, then He gave me the gift. But He paid for it on the cross. When He died on the cross, all my sins were in the future. And by the way, the Bible says this about Jesus Christ, that He was the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. So the Bible says that Jesus Christ went before God even made the foundation of the world, before God even formed planet Earth. He already had planned for Jesus Christ to die. So everyone's sins were before Jesus Christ died on the cross. And he says, if you say that you don't have eternal life, you're calling me a liar. You're, you're saying that I, my testimony isn't true. You're saying that my record isn't true. And I find great, great joy in knowing that I am forgiven of my sins, that Jesus Christ gave me eternal life. And you say, well, what if you do something really bad tomorrow? God has forgiven me of my sins. And I cannot lose my salvation because it is eternal and it is everlasting. And I should still try to live a good life and God is going to chastise me and God is going to try to correct me because I am His Son and we understand that. Um, We're not saying anything against that. But I am saying this, I will never lose my salvation because God cannot lie. And God takes it offensively if somebody says, if somebody tells you, well I was saved but then I lost it because I did this. They're calling God a liar. And, and you're not saved if you believe that, because salvation is, it says, it says there in John 3, I love, I love that verse, the very last verse of John chapter number 3, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It doesn't say he that believeth on the Son and lives a good life. It doesn't say he that believeth on the Son and repents of their sins. It doesn't say he that believeth on the Son and gets baptized. It says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. So what condemns you? is not believing. But the wrath of God abideth on him. And we should not call God a liar when it comes to our eternal life. So let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for the book of John. Thank you for allowing us to take one more night to be able to study.